Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to FX Moment, which is part of a FIC Focus podcast series. My name is Audrey Child Freeman. I'm the Chief G10 FX Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. And today I am joined by Brad Bechtel, who is Global Head of FX at Jefferies. Brad, welcome to FX Moment, and thank you so much for joining us today. Um, today I want to talk about the US dollar outlook. And in, in, the timing is excellent, actually, because uh, I'm very interested in finding out uh, how the macro news flow that we've had out of the U.S. Uh, since the beginning of the year is affecting your your outlook uh, for for 2024. Um, so, Brad, I'm not sure whether you were in the dollar bearish camp at the beginning of the year. Um, and and what I would say, what I would start by asking is to what extent uh, your view uh, on the dollar was predic- predicated on potential softening in the U.S. economy. Uh, first half rate cut scenario, uh, and what do you make of the recent U.S. data, and how do they affect your view, the view that you had on the dollar at the beginning on on January first? Hi, sure, yeah, thanks for, very much for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Uh, so going into this year, uh, I was actually one of the few that was probably a little more constructive on the dollar. Part of that being the fact that we had such a big downdraft in the dollar in Q4 of last year. Uh, It seems to be four of the last five years we've had this big down move in the U.S. dollar. And right into that year-end time period, the market seems to get very bearish uh, on the dollar heading into the the following year. This year was no exception. And typically what 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 I observe is that a lot of the move that people are expecting in the following year has already happened in the fourth quarter, and typically what happens then is we get a bounce in Q1, and that's exactly what seems to be happening this year. Uh, so I expected that, you know, we had a big downdraft in the dollar in Q4. I thought we'd probably get a bounce in Q1, and then from there we would see how we go. I didn't expect us to get such a big bounce uh, as we've seen, and literally it started on January 1st, I think, in terms of price action. Uh, and has been pretty relentless. Um, my forecast, you know, heading into this year was the Fed was going to hike, probably not nearly as much as people had expected, but they still were going to start, or, or ease, I should say, they were going to start easing policy. Uh, but, you know, the dollar is always a relative value play, right? So you have to look at what other central banks are doing as well. And here we have the ECB and the Bank of England also likely to ease. Uh, so my expectation with the big three central banks all starting to ease at some point this year was that the dollar on a broad basis, as measured by DXY, for example, would stay in a range. Um, very likely somewhere in the 100 to 105 zone was my initial thought. Um, and obviously we've already achieved basically 104.50 uh, practically already. So, um, you know, Having observed the data over the last several weeks, and now that we're into February, what's changed for me? Uh, well, you know, pretty clearly the U.S. economy is actually doing quite well. Uh, I think the market's obviously 
uh, repricing, uh, Fed easing, and trying to get back into uh, figuring out exactly how much easing we're going to actually get this year. Um, and against this backdrop, the dollar uh, remains quite firm. Um, the ECB and the Bank of England are both still likely to ease. I know both are trying to uh, do what they can to hold out for longer, but it seems pretty clear that at this point, all three of the, uh, of the big three are going to be easing probably around the same time, um, which is going to be sort of May, June, uh, you know, sometime in the summer, basically. And that's going to put pressure on the, on the downside for the, for the euro, uh, for the sterling, um, and at the margin for the dollar. But, you know, typically in these cycles when the U.S. economy is performing so well, as the data seems to indicate, uh, the dollar does tend to outperform. So I expect I'm still in that range-bound camp. Uh, I actually see risk now that instead of 100 to 105, that we might actually break through 105, uh, just given the strength and the momentum in the U.S. Econ economy so far. Well, first of all, congratulations on, uh, on, on your view. But, you know, what, what I'm thinking is uh, where... For the, for the first quarter, we kind of agree, um, and I totally agree with what you're saying, but where I am uh, more uncertain is uh, where do we go into, into the second quarter? I mean, so do you expect the U.S. data to continue to come in strong? And then I think basically if that's the case and there, if the whole, um, you know, the whole timing on rate cuts is is so is questioned that much. I feel that you know you're right. You know euro euro weakness continues, um, and then in the second half of the year is a different story. I think we take it quarter by quarter. So I, I, I suspect for the second quarter, uh, what we'll have to do is like everybody else and you know be uh, in a data watching uh, mode. Um, but you know we've seen as you say we've seen a big move already in just. Uh, six weeks you know we saw uh if you look at the dollar bloomberg dollar index it's down nearly three percent uh, up nearly three percent sorry year to date uh, after being down over five percent over november december uh and I, I just feel to me that we've gone from one extreme to the other um and probably time to see some some consolidation um in particular on on euro dollar and on cable. Um, but before I actually ask you about dollar yen, because this is, I think, another super interesting currency to look at, and we could see actually, you know, bigger surprises, even bigger surprises than on euro dollar. There's one point I want to ask you in terms of the drivers for the dollar for this year, and that relates uh, to the US presidential election. So, you know, one question that I'm being asked a lot is about, you know, to what extent do you think that uh, a potential second Trump presidency would impact your your view on the dollar. And I'm thinking two channels. One is geopolitics. And if you worry about, you know, the U.S. potential NATO commitment as a result, and that's a risk off move, then that's actually dollar positive through safe haven flows. Um, and then the macro, the macro uh, perception is that, you know, if it's a very associated to very pro-growth policies um, and it's a big risk on move then that's actually dollar negative. 
Um, I, I don't know what, what, I mean, I know it's kind of a long way away, but it's not at the same time. We, we're already starting to talk about it a lot. Um, what, what's your view on that, Brad? Yeah, sure. I think your point on sort of quarter by quarter uh, analysis definitely uh, you know, resonates in that context. You know, if you look at the move we've seen in the dollar already, I do get the feeling it's a bit overdone. Um, it's a bit, uh, you know, sort of overcooked, if you will. Uh, we've come a long way pretty fast. Everyone's pretty convinced that the U.S. economy is doing better than expected and likely to continue to do so and they've repriced markets accordingly. It does feel like we need to kind of, kind of step back a bit from that, um, and maybe maybe that results in a little bit of easing in the dollar pressure we've seen so far, uh, sort of pulling back maybe 1% or 2% makes sense at this stage, uh, and seeing further consolidation in the euro and sterling on the moves that they've sustained already as well. Uh, all of those things kind of make sense to me. Um, you know, in looking at the election cycle, I did some work on this recently over the last two election cycles. Typically what we saw during the election year, which is this year obviously, is you know a general downtrend in volatility. Uh, so you know right now things are looking pretty good. Volatility is relatively low. Equities are still rallying. Rates are contained. Um, you know, and we haven't really started up on the election noise that we're going to uh, get in full stereo down the road. So we're in a nice cycle for capital markets and capital markets activity. This is definitely a, an area of the economy and, and of the cycle where you want to be, you know, uh, sort of doing what you can to, you know, issue or, or do your transactions in the capital markets, whatever you're, you're, you were planning on that you put on hold last year. I think this is the window to attack it now uh, because as we get towards that fall time frame, that's when volatility will pick up. Uh, that's what we saw in the prior election cycles, and we'll start to get more of those uh, kind of policy-related headlines. We started to see some of that now with Trump uh, in regards to tariffs and things like that. Um, really unclear uh, what what we're going to end up seeing as we get into, you know, the the fall time frame and we start ramping up um, with uh, with all of the uh, the advertising and debates or whatever else comes out of it, right? So um, that at that point then we turn into what you mentioned there which was a potential you know geopolitical issue if to the you know to the extent we get anything that increases geopolitical tension obviously that's very dollar positive uh to the extent we get wind of anything that would be you know uh beneficial to the economy i don't know if it's tax cuts or regulation changes or those sorts of things uh, that could be also very good for the u.s economy um i think the dollar is going to stay at one end or the other of the dollar smile, either on the geopolitical side of the smile, which is dollar positive, or on the U.S. economic side of the smile, where the U.S. economy is generally outperforming rest of the world. You know, when we move into the middle of the smile, which is U.S. economy underperforming the rest of the world, that's when the dollar typically weakens uh, dramatically or goes on a bearish trend. I don't really see that happening, even if we get an increase in volatility. It doesn't necessarily mean we won't get pullbacks. We will. Um, I think as the Fed eases, uh, that will take pressure off the dollar. So again, kind of remaining in that that range. But at the same time, other central banks are easing uh, as well, and that's going to be very good for global growth overall. It's going to be very good for commodity demand. It's going to be very good for uh, the recovery. A lot of, of a lot of the economies that have struggled so far this year. Um, so <clears throat> I'm, I'm pretty constructive. 
on the dollar generally, as you can as you can tell. Uh, but I do keep an eye on that fall time frame for an increase in volatility. And when bond market volatility increases, typically you lead to you leads to um, you know carry trade washouts, things like that, where the high yielders will get punished, low yielders will rally, things like the yen and the Swiss. Um, so, but again, that's kind of fall time frame. I think in the you know before then we're going to have a nice a nice run here for risk assets. Yeah, I think you make a very good point as well about, you know, the relative play because the market has really very much been focusing on the US side of the equation, you know, since the beginning of the year, because that's where the surprises have come, I think, in terms of, you know, economic headlines. Um, and actually we've kind of sidelined what's going on elsewhere. I'm just, let's narrowing down to Europe and in particular to the euro. But for me, the problem, if you, you know, if you're euro bull, uh, and, and, and I still think the euro will end up stronger year end, but it's just the first one that's proving to be a bit of a nightmare. And I think the problem we have with the euro positive view is that, you know, yet again, we start a year where most expectations is, I think you, you know, you're probably amongst, you know, a bit of an exception, but most of us were kind of assuming deceleration in the US and they were varying degrees of, you know, belief as to, you know, hard landing, how much of a recession, are we already in recession? But generally talking, you know, people were saying, you know, we're going to see a big slowdown in the US. And Europe, the view on Europe was that Europe has already bottomed uh, and that, you know, that things will get better from here. And the problem, if you're Eurobull with that view, and that's why it's been challenged, is that we've seen, you know, the, the exact opposite. The U.S. data have been so much stronger, so the softening, you know, U.S. economy is completely questionable. And in Europe, at the same time, we've had, if anything, um, I would say a majority of economic indicators that have underwhelmed. So... I suppose that, you know, the view from here, and I think near term, this isn't changing, which is why I, I kind of, I totally agree that, you know, the, the risk is to the downside. If you take your dollar, for instance. But then what we have to ask ourselves is like, you know, what does it look like in the second half of the year? And that's, or, or from, from later in, in the second quarter, because as you know, you know, as we've seen it yet again, sentiment and drivers in the FX market have been changing and evolving so fast from one view to the other. And I think the net result of that as well is that we haven't seen very strong convictions. And uh, certainly I find it very difficult, you know, given the news flow, the changing narrative to have a very strong conviction, um, in particular on, on the euro dollar cross. But um, yeah, let's see how it pans out. Just um, let's, uh, talking about conviction, I think it's a nice, uh, moving on question to dollar yen. So I, I will leave it to you to, to give me your view first on dollar yen. Uh, pain trade again, or what, what's, what do you think? What, what, what side of the trade are you? I think you're probably bullish from what you said. Uh, so yeah, basically yeah, where I came out on dollar yen as we, you know, as I was looking at putting together a forecast for 2024 back in, uh, I believe it was October, November area where I released it. Um, you know, again, the market was very bullish on yen. Uh, generally speaking, uh, people were even talking about you know, you know, owning yen uh, as a as a trade, um, and you know that was all predicated on the idea that the Bank of Japan was going to start uh, a tiking cycle, and um, 
and you know pretty clearly they they are trying to get to that place. Um, I think uh, you know there's questions on how strong wage growth actually is, uh, but we're getting into the time of year where we start to find out more details on that uh, as we get towards the Shinto and and uh, you know fiscal year end for Japan. So we'll we'll learn more on that very soon. And I do believe that at some stage Bank of Japan will take us. Uh, out of uh, negative interest rate policy into zero interest rate policy. Uh, I think they'll probably try to even hike uh, one or two times after that. Uh, so, you know, that probably kicks off sometime in the March-April timeframe. And then maybe we go from there uh, throughout the remainder of the year. Uh, but again, you know, I'm not at a place where I'm, I'm necessarily thinking that's bullish the yen. Um, you know, the carry differential is still pretty massive, uh, you know, even relative to the U.S. dollar, uh, but also relative to even the euro or even, uh, you know, obviously more importantly, things like the Mexican peso or the Colombian peso or some of the high yielders uh, around the world. You know, the yen is still going to be uh, one of your favorite funding currencies because rates are going to remain very low. Uh, and I don't think they're going to be able to normalize uh, to any large extent uh, beyond getting to, say, plus 50 basis points or maybe 1% uh, at, at the most. So coming into this year, I thought, you know, again, we had that big dollar down move and the yen benefited quite a bit. So I thought we sort of already had the yen move uh, that a lot of folks were looking for in 2024. I expected we would give some of that back. I didn't actually think we would end up at 148 by February 5th, um, but here we are. Um, and I do expect we'll probably kind of hold in this 140, 150 range. I think, uh, sorry, sorry, 145, 150 range. Uh, we'll kind of hold here until we get the first hike by the Bank of Japan. Uh, then the bulls will try to take another run at owning yen. Uh, they'll try to send dollar yen lower. Um, I think that'll be a mistake. And I, I would definitely be looking to sell yen uh, against high yield currencies at that point if we do get such a rally in the yen. Um, because, again, I just don't think they're going to be able to go too far. Uh, so that'll be a very sentiment-driven trade at that point. I think the carry differential is going to remain quite wide. Um, you know, and I do think over the long term, you know, thinking one year, two year, uh, I'm not necessarily convinced the yen is going to rally too much from here. I think it's going to kind of remain always uh, on the weak side doesn't necessarily mean I'm negative Japan by any stretch. In fact, I'm quite the opposite. I think Japan uh, is, is set up quite well in terms of the Nikkei and some of the companies uh, locally there. There's a lot of great opportunities. And, uh, you know, Japan tends to be very favorable uh, for investors, generally speaking, in terms of uh, the environment there. Uh, uh, so. Yeah, I think I'm bullish Japan for sure. Uh, I just don't think the BOJ is going to have the ability to take rates too high, and that's just going to keep the yen on the weak side, which, you know, for them is fine. I think that's great, and I think they, they think it's great. So uh, that's kind of where I fall out on the yen. And I think the sentiment has kind of shifted back towards people aren't necessarily so bullish on the yen, but I think once the Bank of Japan starts to hike, you might try to jump on that trade, and, and that to me would – uh, potentially be a mistake. The, the swings that we've seen on sentiment on the yen have been quite quite strong, because and and the BOJ gave, gives us a little bit of hope, and then you see a four to five big figure move, so quite a big move, and then nothing happens, 
and then the market kind of finds some disappointment and we go back to that new range that, that you mentioned. Um, so I, I totally agree. I think we, you know, if, if you bullish dollar, if you bullish the yen, uh, I just would completely avoid dollar yen because, you know, on the cost of carry arguments that you described, it's probably the worst pick that you can think of. Um, and that's, that's why I was thinking Swiss yen downside is probably more interesting. First of all, the cost of carry is smaller. Um, and at least, you know, the SNB messaging and the, SNB, the, the fundamentals uh, for Switzerland have evolved where, you know, we, we expect uh, the dynamics to be weaker on, on the Swiss, whereas at the moment anyway, uh, given, you know, the broad bullishness on the dollar, I, I just feel that dollar yen, um, you know, the, the upside risks are, are still more compelling. So I was going to ask you a little question, you know, but looking at the level, I think that I know your answer, but, you know, if you think about dollar yen, let's say in the next, I know it's tricky, but let's say in the next three to six months, do you, do you, would you agree 152 before 140? Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, I think that's right, um, and I do actually agree as well on your point on Swiss yen. I think if you if you have to own yen, uh, you know, I think Swiss yen is actually the the best uh, pair to do it against. Um, Swiss yen as a pair has actually rallied tremendously, and as you mentioned, uh, the the Swiss National Bank, I think, is starting to get a little concerned about the strength of the Swiss franc. Then uh, you know where it is. And um, we'll probably start to push back against it, um, at least verbally for sure, if not um, in reality as well. So I like I like that trade if you need to own yen. Um, but yeah, in terms of price action, I think we see 152 before we see 140. Um, and, but I do recognize the fact that we probably will have a downdraft in dollar yen and other yen crosses uh, on the back of the the you know, the eventual beginning of the BOJ tightening cycle. Uh, so we have to be nimble on, on owning dollar yen at this point. I think we're, we're pretty fully baked here, uh, and I'd probably be relatively neutral at this stage, uh, waiting for the hiking cycle to begin and then evaluating from there. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I think uh, I'm totally with you on that, on that point. Um, this concludes our FX Moment podcast for today. Brad, thank you so much for joining and for sharing your views. And it was great to have your insights. And if you want to discuss anything that was covered today, please reach out on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And until next time, goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.